yo, 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 what's going on, everybody? How's it hanging? How's it happening? You guys know who it is. This is Kevin from the Core Progression Podcast. Brought to you by Rocks for Rock and Metal Thrive. Hey, everybody. This is a very, very, very special episode. And why? It's because we have a returner coming back to the show. Back in November, we talked to Sahaj from the band Ra, all about their brand new single, Intercorrupt, which came out at the time. And now... The album Intercorrupted is coming out on Friday, March 19th. And are we talking about the album? You bet. Are we also talking about a lot of other things in music that you're going to want to know about? You bet. Because every time I talk to Sahaj, I swear to God, there's like 10 different light bulbs that go off my head, 10 different like mind-blowing things that are said that just make me realize certain things about music in a way I never thought before. Sahaj is absolutely incredible, and I hope you guys like this episode. So, are you ready? Let's go! Yeah! Well, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, listeners of the Core Progression Podcast, we have yet another returner to the show because the brand new album, Intercorrupted by the Band Ra, is coming out on Friday, March 19th. I hope I got that right because, you know, sometimes days go wrong in my head, getting the okay from Sahaj, so I'm happy about that. So please welcome back to the show, Sahaj from Ra. So Sahaj, welcome back, man. Hey, dude. Good to see you again, and I'm excited to be back. We had a bit an in-depth convo last time, so hopefully this one's just as good. Well, I mean, we before we even started out on this, we were talking for like five, six minutes, and it was already going to get to that super in-depth point. So I'm totally super excited for that, especially with the fact that, A, the brand new album, Intercorrupted, almost messed that up, comes out on March 19th. And I know you're also doing a virtual concert that same night as well. So you're really making this the biggest release possible that you can, of course, during the time of COVID-19, during the pandemic. So I'm excited for this one, man. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I almost feel like um, the virtual concert, like, you know how people had like CD release parties back in the day? Like this is this is better, I think. I think this is more effective than having a CD release party in some, you know, in your hometown with a few hundred people and no one else gets to see it. I think this is actually more awesome. I think everybody who wants to come and check this out can come check it out. And, you know, hopefully um, they'll get to see, you know, all the classic raw songs, a couple new ones from the new album and stuff like that. But I think the, the, the excitement of seeing us in a, in a high production situation with lots of lights and different cameras and all that stuff, I don't know. It just feels like it feels very, very appropriate for the release of this record. I think that's definitely a, a key point you hit on as well, where we're talking about the live, uh, like the live performance, but though it's virtual compared to those like CD releases or album release parties with a couple hundred people where there's going to be a potential for a lot more people to show up at this, to take part in this and to really enjoy it. However, one other thing that you hit on was you're talking about high production, a lot of lights, a lot of different cameras as well. You're trying to make this more of an experience, more of this full on, you know, production to the point where people are going to come watch us and they're definitely going to get what they want out of it. Definitely feel like they're at a show. Definitely feel that grand experience from the from the comfort of their own homes, which, of course, we would all rather see you live, be packed in a room together, having a great time. But if we have to make do with what we have to make do now and hopefully six months, we're able to pack into a room and see you play live. You know, we'll. We'll definitely be watching and listening to this live performance. Yeah, I think, um, first of all, you know, I got to plug where we did it because it's so great. I mean, 
Sweetwater Sound is the place everybody buys all their music, sweetwater.com and all that stuff. So people buys all their music gear and all their, 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 their technology from Sweetwater, but they don't realize that the facility, because I live here in, in Indiana, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, I moved here from LA last year. Um, but the facility is, is, is enormous. They have a $7 million recording studio with three different rooms in it. They have these massive theaters with stages and all this special stuff massive amounts of video gear, massive amounts of, they have a, I mean, we have a 30 by 20 wall video LED wall that we're using. It's just absolutely crazy. The level of production that we're going to have on Friday and the generosity of a place like Sweetwater, because, you know, the thing that's great about Sweetwater is that they have, um, you know, they, they, they make so much money on the retail side that they can sort of, they don't really care that much about making money off of the studio um, in the traditional way. They want to make money, but they're more interested in building the value and the credibility and the reputation. And one of the things that they realize is with their facilities, they can do these virtual concerts and or things like them in the future at a very high level. I mean, you know, places in LA, if I were still in LA and I tried to do what we did at Sweetwater, it probably would have cost $50,000. And, you know, the fact that they basically did it on spec with us is, you know, unbelievable. And, and, you know, something that no one, you know, it's not something that everyone's going to get because obviously I live here and I know the people there, but it's one of those things that in, in, in the name of sort of getting the word out and getting this experience in out in the open, I think uh, I think they did a really, really ridiculously good job with this. Wait, I can't wait for people to see it. It looks like a zillion dollars. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing this now as well, the way you're talking about, especially with this giant video wall in the back. That just sounds absolutely incredible, especially because I've mentioned this a lot of times on the podcast with other bands as well. We're talking about these live performances, live shows, virtually just because, of course, that's what we had to do for the past year. And seeing how different bands and different groups have evolved from the beginning because... Like the first one was on St. Patrick's Day 2020 when all of a sudden uh, Dropkick Murphys did a live show. And it was just, I think they had like one or two cameras and it was just their whole entire set, whatever it was going to be, that was it. But as time has gone on, I've seen other bands start to build up certain things, put stories behind their live performances virtually as well, just add so much more to them. So you're starting to see how bands are really trying to turn this around and really make this special for the audience. So it's something like, you know, you're watching a movie, but also watching a live show at the same time as well, because you can't be there in front of the band with the crowd. If you're like me, smashing the people left and right because you can't get out of the mosh pit, but that's what I love to do anyway. So I'm going to stick with it. However, I love the fact that you're doing it with Sweetwater as well, because again, like you said, they're very big in the retail space, but they're going to be also working within, you know, the more music production space as well, getting the studio time as well, but also they're just there to have fun with it. They're there to promote music. They're there to pr- just help artists grow where all of a sudden, yeah, you're focusing all the money on the retail side, but now you got this other space as well. That's going to be so useful for so many artists and you know, the guys and you're taking advantage of the fact that you have this great opportunity to make this incredible live performance virtually. So why not do it? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's definitely a special relationship and something that um, I hope, other bands that I work with, you know, some of my bigger friends, my bigger bands take advantage of it because it's something that they would be super, super stoked to, to have that level of support. I think they might be watching that uh, live performance on Friday night. And then all of a sudden afterwards, they're going to be texting you asking if they can get in on that. 
Yeah, no, I've already shown them the stage and stuff like that. So they're all, they're all, you know, they're aware that it's in the, it's certain bands are already thinking it through. Oh man. And you're going to be the, it's, it's like the, uh, and you're gonna be the first one there. Well, we're not the first one to do something. Actually, uh, we came as Romans did one. Out of Sweetwater? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I think it was called Band-Aid or something like that, that they did. And uh, they did one, uh, came out a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago. Theirs was pretty cool too. I mean, I have to say it looked, it looked pretty cool. Different, different kind of show than ours, but definitely um, it looked amazing. Well, I'm going to have to go back and look that up just because I completely missed out on that one. Man, yeah. now I'm feeling like I, I really missed out. Dang. Oh, well, what you going to do about it? Yeah, it's all good. I can pro- probably find it somewhere and just all of a sudden like, go up on YouTube. If someone's probably got, you know, every single song up there kind of cut together and I can kind of piece it together or I can find I it live online somewhere. I think you even a couple of songs just like on their YouTube channel, just like a couple of songs. So you can, I think you can definitely check it out. And I kind of want, I really want to as well, just do the fact that I was supposed to go and see them before the whole entire pandemic hit as well, because they were doing the To Plant a Seed tour. I think it was the last time they are going to play the album in full, especially because the loss of Kyle Pavone, got, they're going to end up moving forward, but not replacing him, which I think is a smart move. Right. So, but like, you know, it was my first time seeing We Came As Romans and that's their, that's their breakthrough. I'm like, I want to see him play it. However, I also want to see him play some of my other favorite songs. But you know what? I got to keep waiting. And I'm just sitting here still with that ticket in my uh, nightstand drawer right now. Yeah, no, I mean, they they did it. I think it came out a month or so ago. But yeah, very good. But yeah, so, you know, we're moving on to uh, getting into the phase where we're going to start focusing on getting the release out. Um, did you uh, did you get a copy of the album early or no? Um, I unfortunately did, was not able to. All right. Well, if I had known, I would have sent you one. That's the first thing. So at the end of this conversation, I will link you to the album so you can actually hear the album. But um, but the other thing is, um, you know, that there are features on the record. So one of the features on the record is uh, Dustin Bates from Star Set. So he did. He and I do a song. And then the other feature on the album is uh, Lejean Witherspoon, me and from Seven Dust. We do a song together, too. So those two features on the record are really um, it was super like satisfying for me personally that they, they they both it's it's i didn't plan it this way but it came up it came it, it, it came to me at a certain point that i realized that like seven dust was such a massive inspiration for me when we were coming up as a band so it's like i got to work with a guy that sort of was part of the dna of what robbie came and then I write, you know, I write a lot of songs with, with Star Set. I have six songs so far, maybe a couple more on the next album. So maybe eight or nine total. And um, to have a guy on the record who I, my DNA helped create, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's sort of cool to have respect for the people that made us who we are. And then to have, you know, this guy on the, on the record who's, you know, massively successful at the moment, but also something that I helped create, you know, and um it's just, it feels really, really good. There's a really good sort of honest, hopeful, healing energy in this record. Like it's, it's really what the whole album is about, but there's also a lot of sort of Zen stick hitting you in the head, kind of like trying to get you to think about stuff moments. And then there are a couple of songs about girls, you know, <laughs> but there's, but, but there's, you know, but overall it's, it's trying to fix something. I'm not even sure what it's trying to fix. I want to say people, but not, it's really not. It's just trying to fix broken energy, you know, and the album for me, um, we've put out 
two songs. We have Intercorrupted and we have Jezebel. And, uh, you know, Intercorrupted was sort of like a mishmash of things that are very raw-ish and then sort of just designed to make people recognize the band again. And then Jezebel was sort of a, an album track, still really hooky, but it's almost five minutes long. It's just like this crazy long song. And it's designed um, sort of to exercise my progressive metal side, but also um, it, it ended up being my Roxanne, my police Roxanne, because, you know, as I was writing the song, I realized what I wanted to do was take these genty metal parts and then put these police things, these police melodies over it and, and police guitar parts and, and, and have fun with it. And I, and I think, um, you know, they're little things. I mean, one of the things for people who know the band, um, there's a ton of Easter eggs. Like, you know, I, I watch all these Marvel TV shows and I watch all the Marvel movies. So I'm looking for, you know, I, I realize that Easter eggs are a thing now. So it's like, I put all these Easter eggs in this album. There's, there's a million references to other songs. There's a million references, you know, in Jezebel, even there's a reference to a song called Scorn. So, and Mixie from Stitch the Part does a vocal part in it. She does the spoken word part of the of the song. And there's just some really cool um, Easter eggy type things that if you know the band really well, it's cool. But then I tried to make the record just good enough so that if you've never heard of us before, you're still going to like it, you know? So there's a lot of um, soul and passion that went into making this record, but a lot of it was, you know, in the traditional raw way, um, trying it's not very heady it's not very intellectual on purpose even though the lyrics might come off that way but a lot of it is sort of like it's channeled more than it's written if that makes any sense and i work with so many bands where it is written and not channeled you know i spend a lot of time carving out ideas for other artists so when i get to do the raw stuff it's all about sort of channeling whatever's coming out and then harnessing it into a song you know Oh, absolutely. One thing you brought up with Jezebel, though, was, and I was going to ask you this question, but you just answered it right out in front of there, because when I was listening to your vocals, like the the first vocalist that came to mind and kind of like, a, okay, what is this kind of like the flow and everything reminded me of was Sting from the police. And you're bringing, calling it your Roxanne mode. I'm just sitting here thinking, oh my God, you answered my question before I even asked it. Like, this is, this is freaking me out at times. But when I listen to Jezebel, because in preparation for this, I probably listened to that track maybe 20, 25 times because I just wanted to really just take it in and enjoy it. From the first moment I listened to it, because with that instrumentation, it's got that heavier, fast-paced style to it, but it's not, you know, super-duper heavy, super-duper in-your-face. It's kind of got this nice flow to it with a faster pace, harder-hitting style. But then you listen to your vocals, the way they contrast against that uh, pacing, against that sound as well, with a little bit more of a lighter flare, a little bit more of a drawn-out flare, kind of like Sting from The Police. I was just sitting here and I was just in awe of that whole entire contrast and how it just made both parts of those songs stand out. Yeah, I mean, I I, I listened to enough music um, to know that, you know, people's definition of heavy um, sometimes can be a little bit of a pigeonhole because if you want to be traditionally heavy, you want a traditional sort of breakdowny part with a traditional vocal over it, um, I think that's going to be boring to listen to at, over time. I think it might be cool in the moment, but I think over time it won't survive. Whereas like if you take two things that traditionally don't live together, then there's subtlety and nuance that you have to decipher in order for it to make sense. And I like that in that particular song, it starts out pretty brutal. I mean, it's, you know, that first 
crunch of of you know chugging drop tune to a and it's single note gent craziness but then it literally goes into oohs and ahs and then the first melody is a police melody i mean you know it wasn't on purpose um the the, the side story to this is over the summer i started working with uh, a little bit with nothing more that band and we had written our song together and I made a gibberish vocal, but when it got to the chorus, I actually sang my, the, the end line was my Jezebel and they, they liked the song and we messed with it a little bit, but um, they were, they were going to change the lyric anyway. So I was like, Oh, I really like that Jezebel lyric. So I'm going to try and use it, write a song around that. And then when I came up with Jezebel, I just immediately was like, Oh, that's Roxanne. You know, it's the same thing. So I was like, Oh, it's in that universe. So, that just sort of immediately carved the song in in a direction and, and gave it a flair. And then once I realized that Jezebel's sort of a whore and the whole thing and the story, and you know, Roxanne's a prostitute in Roxanne. Um, but uh, I remember the song "Scorn," the old Ra song, where I do a weird girl voice and I talk about how you know, I'm, I'm not in love with you anymore. And I'm moving on with my life and all this stuff like this girl. So I had Mixie do exactly the same line in the middle of the song as an Easter egg for the people who know the old song. And everybody's, you know, been pretty happy with that moment. But it's, but there's like stuff like that all the time. Like, I'm just trying to make things feel connected, but disconnected. And then writing really poppy songs. The song I did with, uh, with Lejean is a song called Nobody Loves You. And, um, when I was working on it, I, you know, I've, I have a lot of crazy inspirations for this record. One of my, one of my passions is actually listening to top 40 music. So there are like real, there are like really big influences from top 40 stuff that I listen to that are on this album. I mean, there's stuff from juice world. That's like almost ripped off. Exactly. I stole something from a Mac Miller song. I have like little moments of Billie Eilish and things. No one's ever going to know which parts these are. But in, in, uh, in that Nobody Loves You song, it's very poppy. It has like an urban flavor. And that's the one I do with Lejean. Um, there's all this stuff. And then when somebody, you know, some of the people that have gotten the album early have made comments and somebody came back to me and they said, yeah, you know, I f- at first I thought it didn't make sense. But then I was like, I f- sort of feel like I've heard you do this before. And then I, I sort of let the cat out of the bag. I said, well, if you have our B-Sides album, there's a song called Busted, which I did in 1998 which is sort of the same thing. It's like a a girl who does you wrong and it's over an urban beat and it has a rock chorus and it's it's almost the same thing. It has like rap elements in it. But, you know, I was like people, because what I, what I was aware of is, is that certain people who are fans of the band have preconceived notions of what the band is because of do you call my name? So they think of that song and they immediately think, Oh, that's all they sound like. You know, it's just, Arabic flavored, blah, blah, blah. But our catalog is actually super diverse and weird and has like a lot of weird pop songs. I mean, on Critical Mass, I always tell this to people and they never realize it until they go back and listen. But I have a song about jerking off to Katy Perry on that on that album. So there's no there's no rhyme or reason or limit to what we will talk about. And, you know, it's uh, it's fun for me to make those kinds of songs. But anyway, this Nobody Loves You song for me. It's one of my favorite songs on the album, having LJ on it, him singing like a pop singer. It's just, it's just so much fun. See, I'm going to be very curious to see how that song all plays out as well. And this is the biggest reason is 
not with what you're talking about with having more of a pop flavor to it, but it's going to be with Lejean's feature on it and how his vocal set is going to contrast against your vocal set as well. Because with your vocal set, from like from what I've heard from the past couple of songs, from the other songs, well, kind of has a little bit more of a smoother, lighter flair to it. Well, listening to Lejean's, especially off of their last album, kind of has this like a little bit of a deeper, but also kind of still has that smoothness to it at the exact same time as well. So that smoothness can easily connect it, but just the overall tone, I'd be very curious to see how they contrast against each other and how they both maximize each other's vocal sets. Yeah, I think, um, you know, even with the song with Dustin and the song with Lejean, uh, I had to decide whether I would do the first verse and have them come in second or have them come first and have me come in second. And I sort of realized that because I'm writing these songs in my wheelhouse and I'm so comfortable and I'm so completely in my element in those those both of those songs that um, I felt like it was important to have them go first because there's always going to be a little bit of the fish out of water with these guys doing things that they're not necessarily used to doing. And it, it, it I think it works perfectly because they both have, you know, Dustin sings one way, Lejean sings a different way. They're totally different kinds of singers, but they're both very comfortable in their thing. And with Lejean, since I'm working on his solo record, um, it was a lot of bringing what we've been doing in his social record, in his solo record in, onto this track. And so it was a little bit less of a trick. It wasn't like I had to push him hard to get into the zone on this song, but it is out of character for what people are used to with him. Although I, you know, by the time it gets to the chorus, it just sounds like Elgin. So I think there's a lot of really, really cool things, but yeah, having those guys go first, I think was really important in setting these songs up because everybody's, you know, the raw stuff is so vocal centric that, having another tone over the music really does change the feel. So I wanted people to feel different and then familiar as opposed to familiar and then different. I just, I don't know. It didn't seem to make sense that way. And one of the things that just stuck out to me was the fact that you're going to have them go first and then you come in second instead of the other way around, because in most of the songs around today, whether it's rock metal, I mean, anything you're looking at these featured vocalists and it's always, Whoever, whoever the band is, their main vocalist or their front man or front woman is always going first. And then maybe you'll, you'll have the feature come in for the second verse. Maybe you won't have that feature come into like the bridge or maybe even in the breakdown as well. Sometimes you wait that long and it's kind of expected. However, if you're going to go a completely different route and have Lejean, have Dustin go first on these, what's going to happen is people are going to listen to him and they're going to hear that right away. And all of a sudden they're going to be entrenched in that song because all like they're hearing something that they're not expecting off of that, especially with that track that you're talking about with Lejean as well. I'm very curious to see what that's going to be like just because, I mean, I, I, I know what Lejean has with Seven Dust. have no idea what to expect from his solo album as well, but I know you do because you're working on it. So we'll see where that, that all comes forward. But I'm curious to see how you end up pushing him to really make this song just stand out as something that, you know, I'm pretty sure fans are going to sit there and when they see the track list, when they see the album come out, that's going to be a song that they immediately go to. Yeah. And I think that um, having them go first also sort of serves a, a business, a business purpose, right? Because if you're a fan of star set, if you're a fan of seven dust and you, and, and you see an alert or something comes up and it says that you have this feature with this other person, and you don't know the other person, then you tune into the song. It's sort of a relief that the person you want to hear is first, right? Because then it brings you in. And then the other part of it, um, I think personally, is, is that for my fans, for the raw fans, 
they want to hear the other person sing first too, because they want to get to me as opposed to like, if I start singing, they're just already in and whatever, but they want to see, they want to see what they do. And then they want to hear me do it and see what the difference is. So I think it really works both ways. And um, yeah, it's, it, this is an exciting time. There's an exciting feeling of, you know, watching, you know, here's the thing, like watching the monthly follower, a monthly listeners number on Spotify go up. It's, it's a weird thing. We've only put out two songs. We've gone up 30,000 monthly listeners, but there's an interesting sort of dynamic on how the new universe of music works, right? You know, monthly listeners wasn't a thing when I was <laughs> doing this last record. Nobody knew what that was. So it's so, it's so interesting that you can watch things sort of bloom in real time and see how it all sort of factors together in terms of creating a, an imprint into the music industry. And also the bigger your imprint, you, you know, you start seeing things happen, things that the way people react to you, it seems to be more, um, there's, a, there's a little bit more of a respect level that starts happening when, when somebody is, is, is sort of on a cycle where things are working well you know what i mean so that it, i don't know that we're getting over the hump of the band having the worst name in the world as far as algorithms are concerned so that's slowly starting to get better because that's actually been our biggest challenge for the last three or four months is you can't search raw you can't ask alexa to play raw you can't there's a million things that you just can't do because of the name so we're having an actual you know it's slowly getting better and people are slowly finding uh, the band, whether it's through the website or whether it's through Facebook or whatever it is, but it's, it's a challenge. You can't go to Spotify and put in raw. We don't come up. You can't, no, you know, it's just, it's very hard. I was going to say you can't. Cause right now, if I type in raw for on Spotify, the top result artist that comes up is Rammstein. Right. And that's because you've searched Rammstein before. So the thing is, is it only bases it. It's individual. If you, you know, if you had, if you were a rap fan and you, you had raw, the rugged man, as your as your last five searches, then that's what would come up. You know, or if it was Rage Against the Machine, that would come up first. Yeah, you know? take, I mean, take a look at it, it's like, what do I have after Romsing and like just taking a look overall? Next is Rage Against the Machine, and then it's Radiohead, and then artists that I've never even heard of following that. Like, I'm not even finding Ra even on there, and I just typed in your full name. So even when it comes to trying to find you guys on Spotify. All, I always just do what you, you told me to do the last time. Just search up Intercorrupted because it was the yeah. word that you guys came up with. So no one else is going to have it. Yeah. So now, and that's also why I named the album that. So the record is, the, the single is Intercorrupted. The album is Intercorrupted. So if anybody's searching Intercorrupted, that's the only thing you're going to find, I think. I think that's still true. But well, it, uh, let's take a look. Yeah. I'm, I just turned uh, Intercorrupted. Top result, of course, is the song. Otherwise, it's the only I'm seeing other things that have like something that might be similar in terms of name, but it's a different language as well. But when you just search of Intercorrupted, the only thing you're going to find on Spotify at this current moment is the single. However, when you search yeah, Intercorrupted I mean, on March 19th and afterwards, you're going to find the album as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's all it's all craziness. It's all good. But yeah, I mean, from a from a music industry standpoint, it's nice to feel sort of a widening of our of our reach and it's slow and it's person by person but you know i think um it was uh, one of my friends who does data analysis for a record company was telling me that we have one of the stats that's really good for raw is that um 
we have a 33% or 30% um, click rate on follows in Spotify, meaning that one in three people who go to our Spotify channel actually follow us, which is supposedly an insanely high number. People, people say that 10% is a great number. So to have 30% of the people who come to your page click follow apparently is a really cool thing. So, I, you know, obviously for me, I'm just like, whatever, like, it, it, I just want more people. Yeah. But, it, uh, but it's interesting. We have the people who like the band. I mean, you know, not everybody loves the band, but the people who like the band are very passionate about it. And that's, you know, and that's something that we take very personally and we really try and be respectful of and, and really put a lot into making the album. Yeah, and I've seen over time as well, from when the first thing released with Intercorrupted and when Jezbo released as well, I've seen certain things pop up on social media, not just on from your guys' fan pages as well or your guys' uh, social media accounts, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Certain fan groups I'm in, especially on Facebook, seen a couple of times all of a sudden, hey, check out this track in the past couple of months. All of a sudden, I'm seeing Jezbo come across, seeing Intercorrupted come across. And I'm sitting here thinking, huh, people are finally starting to notice. Thank yeah, God. No, it's cool. It's definitely cool. And we're getting we're getting um, sort of cross pollinization too from from other um, from other like groups of people that are following other bands that have now like one person on the Shinedown page posted something. So now we get all these people that are like, oh, I found you on the Shinedown page. You know what I mean? Like there's stuff like that happening so that, you know, it's it's growing. It's just growing slowly because it's hard to search. Yeah, but one thing too is, is especially, well, one thing that I'm going to end up planning on doing is making sure when people, when this album comes out on March 19th, go to the couple of groups that I'm in and yes, tell everyone, hey, go check out the new album, Intercorrupted. But also, because I know how convenience works. I know people don't want to have to search this up. I'm just going to put a Spotify link in there. They can click on it and all of a sudden, boom, you're right there. It makes the easiest sense in the world. I mean, heck, for everyone that's going to be watching or listening to this podcast, everything when it comes to finding out, when it comes to finding Intercorrupted, when it comes out, you just have to look at the links in the description. I'm going to have everything there for you. Yeah, no, it's cool. And and I think, um, you know, we, we encourage people to follow us on Spotify, too, because that helps the algorithm. So if you follow us, that that gives us the, you know, you don't have to search quite as hard to find it again. Yeah. And for other people, if you for some reason don't follow them, which you should. You can always just search up the word intercorrupted and they're going to be the only thing that shows up. Yeah. Or you can just go to robband.net and we have all the links there for, for songs, for everything. So you can just jump, you can jump right from there. That's like a, that's like a portal to go to everything. We're just doing the whole entire like plug section right in the middle of this podcast. Getting that handled. Hey, get it handled before, you know, we wait till the end and all of a sudden, you know, you might forget about it. I don't think I've ever forgotten about it at this point, but you know what? doesn't hurt to just sprinkle it in there every now and again. So remember, everybody, Intercorrupted comes out on March 19th. And if you are listed, if you if it's before March 19th, pre-save it, pre-order it, do whatever you got to do. But when it comes out on March 19th, listen to it again. Links in the description for the podcast that so you can find everything. And when it comes to Spotify, follow the band. Follow them. Makes it easier to find them and helps out the algorithm so that when we type in RA, they're, the, they're one of the first things that comes up. No longer seeing like Rammstein come up first or Rage Against Machine come up first, even though they might still come up first for a lot of you. No, we want Ra to come up first. Yeah, it, it works after a while. It definitely works. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's sort of the, the outline of what's happening with the record is uh, there's a lot, you know, sort of percolating as far as like what we can do touring wise, who we can go out with, hopefully obviously because of the LJ connection, we're hopefully going out with seven dust, maybe seven us Alter bridge. If that happens, that'd be super cool. 
maybe, you know, I'll try and talk Dustin into taking us out for a couple of weeks and do some star set shows, whatever it is. But um, yeah, a lot of the bigger bands are, you know, they're getting pushed back and further and further. I was talking to Johnny Hawkins, uh, nothing more the other day, and they're, they're still seriously not talking about touring till 2022, which I thought was crazy. I was like, why wouldn't you want to get out in the fall? And I don't know. I think, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, there are a lot of issues that have nothing to do with COVID at this point that have to do with just venues and stuff being backed up. So you're going to have, once people start actually opening up in September, October, and start actually playing shows, you're going to have people, you're going to have months of bands that are just trying to make up dates. And it's, it's, it's going to be complicated, but you know, I think, I think it'll, I think there's still going to be room for us to do stuff, whether it's headlining or whatever it is, but we're going to find something to do for sure. See what you just brought up there was something that I'd been thinking about for quite a while, honestly. And it's kind of confirming what I was thinking of where, yeah, when venues open back up again, there have been a good number of venues that unfortunately have closed due to COVID-19, due to the pandemic, due to not being able to financially sustain themselves. Again, I go into a whole nother rant about that, but I really don't want to go into a full rant on that. However, we're going to have less stages and all of a sudden when bands are able to go out and tour, less stages, all these bands want to go out and tour or just make updates that they originally had scheduled. And you're going to have a lot of bands, not that big of a supply of stages. So trying to get out there, trying to make sure you get that time on stage is going to be limited. So you're not necessarily sure if you're going to be able to get out there or not. Like what you said, just said with nothing more, if they might not tour until 2022, just all based on stuff that isn't necessarily even related to COVID, if we're able to get back to it in September, October, 2021, which right now it looks that way. However, for you guys, if you're able to get on a bill with Seven Dust and Alter Bridge, that would be absolutely insane. I mean, because I've seen I've seen Seven Dust once and I've seen Alter Bridge once, and both times I think yeah for Alter Bridge I just kind of sat there in awe watching Mark Tremonti play the guitar because I'm like I don't know how to play guitar, but then how do you do that? And yeah, then Seven Dust was just all, fun as all hell. Yeah, I mean I'm a I'm a I I, I would think that would be an incredibly satisfying show for a lot of the same people that like us, you know what I mean? Like the people that like Rye feel like, like seven us, like Alter Bridge. I think it's all the same sort of universe, even though styles or styles might be different, but, but yeah, that would be sick. I mean, I, look, you know, my intention is to sort of use and abuse all my friends and relationships in the music industry to make sure that, you know, whatever we do is meaningful and it has a good reach. And, you know, I'm even going to reach out and try to maybe reach out to Ben, break Benjamin, try and hit up the, you know, Zach Myers and Brent and shine down and hit up all the guys we used to tour with. I'll talk to Tyler from theory. You know, I want to play with all those dudes. We used to play with those guys 20 years ago. And, you know, if we're doing enough, I, I, I would imagine that they'd be cool having us out with them. So we're trying to uh, make it so that they don't have to do us a favor, that it's actually makes sense. And they just want us to be there, you know. Um, but, yeah, I think there's there's a lot. I mean, I, I, I'm sort of bummed out that I didn't get you the album before this, because I really would have liked to talk to you about what you thought of the other songs. But we'll have to do that another time. But there's a, but yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, poetry on this record. There's a lot of stuff that just comes from uh, the state of the world. I mean, we, you know, our last podcast, we talked a lot about all of the um, psychological and mental sort of barriers that we're dealing with 
in a technological society that 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 deals with information in a, in an incredibly inefficient way and the album has a lot of references to that um there's a song called let it lie where you know the saying is the, the, the saying is you know if you go if somebody's like oh that's messed up man just let it lie meaning don't don't mess with it just let it lie leave, leave it on the floor but in the context of this song, I'm actually using lie in the truth manner. So let it lie, meaning let it, let it lie to you, let it tell you a falsehood. And that's sort of what we do, right? We all, we're all willing to let, let it lie in order to be able to make sure that we sustain whatever beliefs and, and, and dogmas and karmas that we're fighting with. Um, the, the insane part of what people are willing to sacrifice in order to be right or wrong or whatever it is that's the fiber of what this record is about there's a lot of sort of like the insanity of uh of of living around and then the other thing um is uh the um sorry i, I was i was just thinking about this just this morning but there's a song on the album called blind to the light right so in the reference to Blind to the Light, I wrote the song, recorded the song, and then all of a sudden I had to figure out what it was about because it was one of those things where, it, you know, like I said before, I channeled it more than I wrote it. And then I realized it was sort of like my song, my, my honoring Chris Cornell. The, the melody of it, the whole thing, his sort of poetry, his life, his whole, the way he died, the circumstances in which he died, and sort of a Chester Chris Cornell type thing. And I, and I realized this line blind to the light, you know, so it's, again, it's a, it's a complete twist of what you think it is. It's like, you want, you're thinking by the title that you're blind to the light. That means the light is a good thing and you can't see the good thing. Like that's the thing that everybody would assume, but really I'm talking about it from a, from a Chris Cornell perspective. And I think these guys, they suffered a lot because they couldn't deal with the limelight. They couldn't deal with being seen. So they want to be blind to the light. They want the light to be blind to them. So that's how I wrote these songs about, you know, th that particular song about how Chris Cornell and, and Chester, like, would they be alive today if they didn't, if they weren't famous, if they didn't have that constant sort of force of, of eyes on them all the time or the, or the spotlight on them all the time. So, yeah, there's there's really cool stuff on the record that that I I'm proud of in terms of its meaning and how it applies to like the world today. But, um, you know, you mentioned the COVID thing, too. And there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of like both sides of the coin things, you know. But I think ultimately the message of the record is just to be hopeful and to understand that the second you go too far in any direction, you've lost your you've lost your leverage. You know, and that's the um, sort of that's always been the raw message, to be honest, from the very beginning. But but even now, it's I feel like it's way more, way more palpable on this record. And also potentially way more powerful as well, given what we have just gone through over the past year. And talking about that Blind to the Light song, what you're talking about, um, taking it for a perception of like what with Chris Cornell, Chester Bennington and kind of they want to be blinded from the limelight. And if, you know, potentially if they weren't going through the, going through being famous and always being in the public eye, would, would things be different today? 
I'm not going to speculate on that because who the hell knows. But when it comes down to other people listening to it, because like myself, hearing the title Blinded in the Light, I'd be curious to see kind of where the song was going, how it was feeling. And when you're talking about the other way where people are just blinded to the good things that are potentially happening and are focused in such negative realms and areas, whether it be anything going on in politics, anything going on with it socially, whether it's something going on personally where you might be just having a, a like a bad time in life and it seems like everything going around you is bad and there might be very good aspects in your life as well at the time, but because you're so focused in on the bad, you just can't see them. The fact of the matter is you're giving so many different potential meanings for people through that song that there's going to be so many people that are going to be able to connect with it on so many different levels that all of a sudden say, I listen to it. And then say, my best friend listens to it. We could have two completely different realizations and different connections to that same song, but it's how we emotionally connect to that song could be the exact same. We could love that song equally, but it could be for completely different reasons. And that really lets a lot of people into the track, into the song and get into the band even more just based off of that. Yeah. And it, and it goes to the, you know, as I'm in it and as I'm writing, I'm always panicking that I'm being too poetic or too cryptic or too whatever. And then almost every single time I have sort of an aha moment about what the song is about maybe a month after it's done. Like, I really don't know what these songs are about until they're finished. And then I reread them having not, you know, like when I'm writing, I'm just writing what the, what the poetry should say. But then I go back and I sort of digest other things and then I come back to it. And that's the point at which I'm like, oh, my God, that's that's what I'm writing about. And it's hard sometimes because you get a lot of self-doubt when you're wondering, oh, is this too complicated? Is this too cryptic for an audience to get? But as you just said, sometimes the cryptic, the more cryptic a, 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 a lyric, the more cryptic a message, uh, the more it the more it attaches to more people. You know, because you can get you can have that that sort of like multiple interpretations and yet none of them are wrong, you know, exactly. And there's also a time where it's if you went like super duper cryptic, you know, went completely something like Da Vinci Code style stuff that would definitely be hard to get into. Or on the opposite of it, if you went super duper specific and detailed this event like to it, like basically from detail to detail in a song, again, it's kind of somewhere people might not necessarily understand it fully due to the fact that if it's super specific, if you didn't go through that exactly the same, you're not going to be able to connect with it as well. But if it's super cryptic, you might not even understand where it's going. But if you have this, uh, like the, it's kind of like the metaphor scale. If your metaphor is like 90% or 10% or anywhere in between, you have a very good chance of making that work for people to understand it. And a good example of that I would say is, I'm going to use a, a song that recently came out called Only Money by the uh, Data Remember where the story is very super specific to Jerry McKinnon losing his grandmother and going through all the emotions of that. And the chorus talking about how he lost out a lot of time with family and friends because of all the work that he was doing and just potentially, you know, focusing too much on that. However, yeah, it's specific, but it's also something that a lot of us can relate to losing a loved one and wishing we had more time with them. It's, it's specific, but it's not way too, it's not like overly specific where you're including people's names in there or whatnot. But if you went super duper cryptic at the same time, point too, it could have the same thing. If you have give people like it's kind of like guide them just a little bit or a lot of it, but don't like handhold them through the whole entire thing. 
Yeah, well, there's a, there's a sliding scale. And, and for the most part, when I'm working with bands that are just the bands that, you know, I work with as a producer, I tend to try and make it as conversational and normal as possible because I want the average person to relate to the cadence and the actual words as something that they would say themselves. But when it comes to Ra, I sort of don't care. And the idea of creating something that's poetic for the sake of poetry is well within the rules allowed in the project. So for me, it's one of the reasons why I even made this record is because I spend so much time working within a framework when I'm working with other bands because I'm, I'm either working within their framework or I'm trying to get them to work within a framework because they're not focused enough. Um, but with Ra, there's literally just utter freedom. Like anything I can think of, as long as I think it's good, is allowed. But obviously it has to be good. But yeah, there's, there's the audience. First of all, I think most bands underestimate the audience. I think the, a lot of times most people are, you know, I say this, I say this even relates to like trying to do a band's music video or trying to do something that, that requires any level of artistic or technical achievement, right? So in the old days, we'd, you know, shitty snare, shitty kick drum, it's not going to stop anybody from liking your record. But nowadays, regular, normal kids know how to record and know what should sound like and know when something feels right compared to something that's just not recorded right. And it changes their perception because, you know, in the old days, music was much more um, organic and performed, you know, in less programmed. And now that everything is so programmed, there's a level of expertise that just seems that has to be there. Otherwise, the audience will tune out. So it's the same thing with lyrics. It's the same thing with everything related to music and art is if you underestimate the audience, the audience will digest it quickly and move on. That's my thing. You know, like there are certain bands that we all know that have put out essentially the same record for 10 to 15 years, right? Like there's just, we know these bands, every time you hear a new record, you're just sort of like, oh, that's the same record we've heard, but it works because the audience already has an investment into the branding of that particular band. And it's simply, it's simply sort of create, it's like, it's like saying, you know what? I don't like bananas all the time, but when I'm in the mood for a banana, I want a banana. And that's the thing with those bands. It's like, they don't change their flavor enough for it to screw up the fact that people have a taste for it. But I do think it screws up their shelf life. I think that those bands records don't last a long time. I think when when another record comes out that sounds like the last two or three, people listen to it. They might gravitate to a couple of songs, but they cycle that out of their regular listening faster than they would if the band had taken a risk and tried to do something new. I always go back to OK Computer by Radiohead, which was universally completely panned and everybody hated it and everybody complained. And yet now, of course, it's this monumental record that everybody tries to copy and wants to sound like so there's always that thing where where you're disappointing your audience by being different um as long as there's enough credibility and passion and and true vision that goes into whatever's new um 
it should do okay. And you have to be, you know, with the raw stuff, I still keep it. You know, the vocals are there, the guitars are there, the, the, the drums are there. It's the same guys from 20 years ago. You know, it's one of those things where there's enough similar pieces that you can put a brand new outfit on it, but it still feels familiar. And that's the thing that, you know, for me, makes me excited about this record and makes me excited about doing music going forward is knowing that when you push the boundaries, a lot of times you do get rewarded. Oh, absolutely. And even there are times where you push the boundaries, like you said, with Radiohead, where all of a sudden you come out with it, you push the boundaries and it just doesn't get what you think it gets and it gets universally panned. And all of a sudden, as time goes on, people are just start gravitating towards it and it becomes this fantastic thing. There are plenty of albums that came out in like, let's say the past three, four years that could easily go under that style where it's initially came out. You're thinking, what the heck was this band even thinking? All of a sudden, go in the future 10 years and it's something that people are talking about. Like you go on like all press or Loudwire, and it's like how this album changed the game for this genre. And it could have been an album that you thought was just not the best. However, over time, opinions do change. People's perception of certain sounds do change and how people relate to those sounds do change as well. Even for me, it's there's certain things with hard rock that I don't necessarily connect with as much now as I would have eight, nine years ago where there's certain things where I wouldn't have connected with, let's say, you know, when I was like 16, 17, where all of a sudden now it's just like 16, 17, I never would have thought of listening to metalcore ever. And now I listen to it all the time. Yeah. I mean, and it's, and it's interesting too, because I think, um, you know, I I was talking to someone about this the other day. It might've been Dustin actually, Um, but the band architects, you know? So it's like, Architects was like this mathy metally band and they did all this stuff that was, you know, for the most part, very successful, but also sort of not really mainstream. It's not like they were on the radio all the time. And then they they made the, obviously made the conscious decision that they were going to make radio songs. And then they've done that and they've been successful doing that. What's interesting to me, and I mean this with all due respect, is I'm not sure yet. I haven't decided whether I like mathy architects better than radio architects. And the question always comes to me in the form of, did they sacrifice what makes them interesting in order to be commercial? It's not about, to me, sometimes it's not about, for me personally, it's not about, is it better or worse? But is it special is is always the thing. Obviously, you can argue that being special makes it better, but they took, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I had the same sort of thought uh, when Bring Me the Horizon did the song Medicine, you know, because they have this song Medicine that's on ammo, I think. Yep. And what I thought to myself immediately when that song, when I first heard that song is like, I was like, oh, there's a line. And if they go over the line, they become unremarkable. Right. So they're unbelievably good at what they do. But if they go to pop, right. There's a line that they cross. If they cross that line, then they're starting to compete with bands like Five Seconds of Summer and, and, and bands that are legitimate pop bands. Well, if you go into that arena, you have to be that cool and that interesting in that arena. And I don't know that they are. I felt like, whoa, if you're going to do a, a Five Seconds of Summer song, you have to be as cool as Five Seconds of Summer. And it didn't seem like they had the elements as Bring Me the Horizon to really compete in that genre because it sort of watered down what makes Bring Me the Horizon awesome, which is really cool sort of programming and dark vibes and color and pop melodies over dark elements. 
right? But that medicine song was so happy that it sort of felt out of character for me personally. And and I guess they they avoided it because they never did anything like that again. So maybe they learned their lesson. But the 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 thing that I you know I really look at is is like sometimes you have to be mindful of if you have to be very very aware of what it is that makes your project special and not sacrifice that in order to sort of achieve a goal. Make sure you know what the center of the image is, and then you can sort of dress it any other way. So with the architect stuff. Here's what's interesting about it is my initial reaction to the newer radio songs that they're doing is that my initial reaction is I really like this. And then it doesn't hold my interest very long, not because it's not good, but it feels less special than the stuff that they've done in the past that I feel is more far reaching conceptually. And also, I mean, I think the singer is really good, but I think the singer also there's an adjustment that goes from being the singer of math architects to being the singer of pop architects. And the popular architect singer, I think, needs to find more color and diversity in his performance in order to sustain radio songs. But obviously they're doing fine. So it's not like a question of, is it working or is it not working? It's working for them clearly. But what I'm, but, but I'm just giving my opinion based on what feels like a, 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 a move that I'm like, Ooh, I wonder if they can sustain this now for three albums, you know? Yeah. And honestly, while you were just talking about that, like there was cer- certain like light bulbs going off in my head, like mind blown moments all within that. It was kind of ridiculous to really think about it. And, uh, so how did I lose you? Oh shoot. Did I lose him? I think he froze on us, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see if I can get him back real quick. All right, are you there? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think he just, I think he just froze for a little bit, uh, or maybe I, something happened with my internet connection. I really don't know, but oh well, no big deal. I've got to fit, I'll figure it out. So what I was gonna go with that was like when you're talking about all that stuff with architects bringing the rise in. I had certain little like light bulbs, mind explosion moments going off in there because when I listened to for those that wish to exist, there were certain pieces of it that I really did like, but when I looked at it, I thought this isn't going to be something that hit me the same way that Holy Hell did when I first heard Holy Hell. Cause I'll still listen to Holy Hell every now and again, the whole entire way through. That was the first album that really just like really sparked my interest in metalcore was that. And listening for those that wish to exist, there was definitely more of this commercial side to it. They did have some of those heavier songs in there, like black lungs, which I do like impermanence when they had Winston with Parkway drive featured on there. That was absolutely ridiculous. But there were certain sounds in that I just couldn't necessarily fully get behind personally because I think it was that it was something there was that really made them special that just kind of was just lacking a little bit in there. I still like the album. I completely respect the move that they made because now they've been without Tom Cyril for about five years at this point. And I thought with Holy Hell, they try to take the style that he wrote in and really give like this full on tribute to what he had done for the band and talk about going through that whole entire grieving process, which I thought they did absolutely to perfection on that. But I still respect what they did with For Those I Wish to Exist because they end up going number one in the UK. A metalcore band went number one in the UK. I mean, that's right. that's that's insane. Jumping to the Bring Me the Horizon one, because I did not like Amo at all. And I like what you said about what, kind of like what made the special in your mind, because that kind of was the same thing that I was thinking. Then they came out with Post-Human Survival Horror in 2020, listening to the whole entire thing, it was, they brought a lot of what they, it felt like what they learned on Amo with some of those pop sounds, 
and just put it into post-human survival horror, put some of that heaviness on there, put some more of those darker themes on there, and just went full force for it. And I absolutely love that EP all the way through and through. It was fantastic. But yeah. now I'm even thinking about my favorite bands as well and kind of thinking about, okay, over time, do I still really like them? Have they changed? But have they, is what, when they change, did they lose what makes them special? And I think a great example of this would be Rise Against. Because if you look at their earlier work, like uh, Art Revolutions Per Minutes or Siren Songs of the Counterculture, it has this heavier, more raw punk rock vibe to it. But you go to some of their newer stuff, it's still punk rock, but I like to call it more polished punk just because it's not as heavy. It's not as in your face raw, but it still has that like that more punk rock feel to it. However, it's the message of the song and the vocals from Tim McElrath where it's more poetic in its own style but it still hits you with that incredible energy at the same time as well, which is what made Rise Against special in the first place. So when I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, they kind of enhanced their sound. They changed their sound up a little bit and evolved. But what kept them special in the beginning is still keeping them special now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, there seems to be, I think here's, I think here's an interesting thing that I think COVID has done inadvertently is I think a lot of bands had to stop and reassess the songwriting part of their careers, because I think what was starting to happen already was a lot of bands were going to the same writers. A lot of bands were being circled around LA and circled around and that we were all doing the same, you know, my buddy on the other side would get the record and then Howard Benson would get the record and then John Feldman would get the record and then I'd get the record and we'd all be writing for these projects. Um, but that, what you end up with then is, is a bunch of familiar songs with different dresses on. And I think artists started to realize during this break, at least I think they, I hope they have, is, is, you got to go back to the risky writing style that got you famous in the first place. You know, a lot of those, you know, a lot of the bands that have been around for a long time, I feel like are starting to dive back into the, the emotional core of how they started out. And I think that that's really important to do. I think that hopefully that becomes, you know, I'm hoping this year, everybody puts out a record that we're all just like, holy crap, we didn't know that could be that good. You know, I mean, I know what the next star set record sounds like. It sounds amazing, you know, and I know what LJ's record is going to sound like. That's going to sound amazing too, you know, completely different universes. But, you know, I know a lot of people are out there and they're battling. I, I you know, I was talking to Doc Coyle from uh, Bad Wolves. Um, obviously a lot of drama in their camp and a lot of stuff has gone down because Tommy Vex isn't in the band anymore. Um, but I had written a couple of songs, one of which still appears to be a, a, a Bad Wolf song. Um, but it's very interesting, man. When people are put against the wall with adversity, you know, you, 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 if you have the right heart and the right mentality, it's an inspiration. It inspires you to do more. It inspires you to take risks. It inspires you to sort of stand up and, and be noticed as opposed to, you know, um, I think there are a handful of people, you know, and, and not, knock on wood, none of the bands I work with, but a lot, I've seen people who have sort of let this, let this be the big 
problem because they're so invested in live and touring and all this stuff and their merch sales and it's just a big problem. But, you know, creating content and being really excited to do it and make it interesting, whether it's just music or music and video content and other things. Um, you know, one of my bands that I, I'm jumping around, but one of my bands that I work with that I'm actually really proud of is a band called September Morning. You know, and they, and they sort of they sort of like they sort of like lived under the level for a really long time. And then they started really pushing the Instagram and pushing all of a sudden like 100,000 people on their Instagram now. You know, it's like a real number. It's like they put up songs and they got playlisted and they got hundreds of thousands of spins early. And those songs will probably go, you know, get over a million streams. And that's hard work, man. When you're at that level where not everybody knows who you are, but you got to sort of like, got to fight the fight. I mean, that takes a lot of, of strength and personality to, to do that. And this COVID stuff has really tested a lot of people. So I don't know. I'm just looking at, I'm looking at what the year has to offer. And I'm, I'm assuming that everybody's going to be making incredible records because that's all they had time to do. So hopefully, hopefully everything coming out is going to be really, really good. And it's just going to help. I mean, everyone's going to want to go and see these bands at Danny Wimmer festivals or whatever it is. Yeah. Cause I'm, I mean, I'll take, I'll put it my, my way. It's just, I've, there's so many different festivals that I wanted to go to. I had this whole entire plan last year to go over to Europe just to see as many of the bands I've interviewed for this podcast over there on their own home turf, just because I want to go back over there one and two it's I know I've interviewed bands from Russia, Italy, uh, Germany, S- uh, Switzerland, the Netherlands, Belgium, Portugal, all over the place. And I want to hit every single one because one thing I noticed was there's so much good music that's coming out that there's that people just necessarily don't really know about. And it's, well, it's all that. Problem, right. How, how can anybody know about it? I mean, it's it is it is the, the you know, I had this conversation. There's another conversation I had is bandwidth. Right. So people constantly always talk about the music industry in terms of there are thousands of songs coming out a day. How can you ever break through and get noticed and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, look, the bandwidth for the top artists in the world has not changed. If you really think about it, there's there's probably seven to ten. And if you want to stretch it out, maybe 15 super famous musicians at the moment. Like top of the top of the pop charts, top of the world, you know, your Post Malone's, your Billie Eilish's, your your Jonas Brothers, your whatever, whatever you want to call it, your, whether it's a, a country artist, whatever it is. There's probably 15 that are really at the top. The weekend, you know, Ariana Grande. Yeah, there's, there's, there's only 10 to 15. Think about 1975. How many were there? 10 to 15. There's never really more bandwidth for superstars. I'm talking Lady Gaga level superstar. 10 to 15 people in the world can hold those slots. I don't care how many records come out a day. The world only has enough bandwidth for that many artists. There are people who are incredibly successful and blah, 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 blah. But there's only 10 to 15 people that own it. There's, only one Drake. There's only one Travis Scott. There's only one, you know, I mean, it's like the second you start, like as soon as you even dip down to like Demi Lovato and Selena Gomez, that's a whole other, that's a line down from who I'm talking about. There's only a little bit at that 1%. And everything else that's down there that's fighting to get noticed, 
that's the, that's the hard part, right? Because you're in this position where, you know, only a handful of people can be at the top. That's just how it works. You know, I like to look at a band like Ginger, right? So like you think about Ginger and what's funny about Ginger is sort of like, okay, she's the girl. She's sort of hot. She crushes it live. They have incredible energy. The tracks are cool and stuff like that. And they sort of live in their own little domain and they own their lane. But, but at the end of the day, there's a hundred bands that sound like that, that no one's ever heard. Exactly. And like, even taking a look at the ginger stats as well, using Spotify monthly listener accounts, ginger has 402,000 monthly Spotify listeners and kind of give everyone a little bit of like a comparison for raw at the moment. It was 264,000 when we shot this. And when you think of Ginger as well, for a lot of people, especially that are really into rock and metal, you know who Ginger is. You know who Tatiana is. But I do agree with you. There's a lot of bands that are further below them that have that same sound, have that same vibe, have that same feel that you just don't know are there yet. Yeah. And there's there's and, and I'm not even saying that there's anything wrong with Ginger. But my, my but my point is, is that there's a diff, it's difficult you know, and maybe they maybe they do the same thing, right? Maybe they become an architects and they dump the metally stuff and they write some commercial songs so that they can pay better, you know, buy better cars and have better clothes, you know. But the 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 system is set up, you know, that you have to work really hard to get noticed. And once you get noticed, once you get you pop that social media cherry as in the modern universe, then you can start creating a business model that actually exploits it and makes it work and you can build on that but that's the hard part the hard part isn't the music and that's the thing that a lot of people have to understand is is the music is part of it but it's about the vision and the branding and the and the passion that goes into the project as a whole that translates that eventually gets sort of funneled into the songs but the songs are just the branding of this vision of this feel of this person and you know a lot of people, when they get into the music industry, they just don't think that way. They just don't understand. You know, they think that if they can go on Joey Sturgis's, you know, nail the mix thing, that they can make a record that sounds just like Asking Alexandria and boom, that's it. That's all they need. But the rest of it, that's not how it works. You know, you have to have a singer that's got something that people are drawn to. You have to have songs that are crafted in a way that are psychologically, you know, that are, you know, I mean, I go back to Bring Me the Horizon a lot because Bring Me the Horizon was unremarkable in the beginning. You know what I mean? It's like, why did they evolve into something that was so different, so great? And it's because they did things, they prioritized the right things. Ali, as a writer and as a singer, learned to prioritize the things that he did incredibly effectively. And then, of course, uh, Justin's his name, right? Justin or Jordan? Jordan. Jordan. So Jordan comes in and of course there's a sonic stamp that he puts on everything. And the combination of the two creates sort of a brand that they're able to market for 10 years, 12 years, whatever it is. So the, 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 the system of making music, the process of modern making uh, of music, modern music making has become, you know, weirdly more dependent on artificial elements, but also way more dependent on the authenticity of the person leading the brand. You know, if you think about Post Malone and Billie Eilish and, and all of these characters that are currently owning the music industry, um, 
what they're able to do is magnify the, the, the beautiful parts of their personality exponentially. You know, it's not like Post Malone is that interesting. It's not like Billie Eilish is that interesting. It's that they take those tiny little parts of themselves that are interesting and they magnify it. They blow it up multiple times and they're able to sort of express those moments exclusively when they do their songs so that you're just constantly in that moment with them. And that's how records sell. You have to get people to indulge your, your character, your person, your, you know, they want, they need to want to exist in you in order for it to work. And that's why um, it's hard for rock bands because rock is one of those songs, rock's one of those mediums where the energy level tends to be one-sided. It always sent, you know, I mean, that's one of the beautiful things for me personally about raw is, is that we don't, we don't, there's no, we can go from the heaviest part to literally the most pretty little thing and all this other stuff and do it effectively. Whereas a lot of bands, I think, have a hard time with subtlety. You know, they can be really good loud and they can be really good aggressive and they can be really good with, with, with punishing sounds, but they have a hard time being convincing when it comes to subtlety and nuance and finesse. So anyway, that's my diatribe on writing and being in a metal band nowadays. One thing that kind of was picked, like, again, picking my brain when I was thinking about this was you're talking about, again, the, like, the bandwidth and just the, like when it comes to artists, when it comes to selling music, growing your band, and it's not just the music, it's also like how, what you add on to it as well. And it potentially could be something where you could be gigantic in one part of, part of the world, but everywhere else really doesn't know you fully exist, but it could be something that could easily work. Just depends on how people perceive it. And I think a great example of that would be baby metal. You go over to Japan. I mean, take a look at some of those live videos. It's just, it's, it's absolute pandemonium there. And one of the reasons why I started listening to the band as well, because I did a whole video on if I like them or not. And I was watching music videos. I was thinking like the, the craziness of this, of these live shows, the, the crazy energy, the crazy moves, and also just how insane this whole entire thing looked. It just drew me into it. And it wasn't even the music that started out. It was just how crazy these live shows look. And then using the whole, all the Japanese culture in there, mixing it with metal. It's, that's like a, that's a huge selling point right there. And then you look at how the band markets themselves as well. And it has this full on exclusivity, Japanese idol culture thing behind it. And there's a lot of people that can get into it. However, you take a look at their Spotify monthly listener account. Like the last time I looked at it was like 700 or 570,000 monthly listeners. And most of that's over in Japan as well. You look all over across the world and it's not anywhere near where it is there. But then again, well, because so in the music industry, what we call that is a novelty act. So there are a bunch of things that are considered novel. Guar is a novelty act, right? Oh, so yeah. it's like the, the idea of the reason why it's called a novelty act is because the, the premise on which it succeeds is not, traditional and 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 the idea of baby metal taking japanese j-pop and putting heavy riffs to it and double bass and crazy stuff and having these three basically i mean you know they're kids they may not be kids anymore but they were when they started out they were but it's sort of weird and pervy honestly it's like these little girls in skirts dancing and sort of being somewhat sexy even though they're not supposed to be but that's the that's the japanese thing right so the schoolgirls, and it's this whole sort of like culture where the songs were good i actually like baby metal songs i think gimme chocolate's an amazing song but um 
and uh, what was the other one? Karate. I think karate is incredible. But the but the um, but the 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 reason why it's not that doesn't translate in, in the things. First of all, you're dealing with music that songs are in Chinese and Japanese, so there's a lyrical disconnect. And then secondly, you're also no girls are going to really engage. No no non Japanese girls are really going to yeah. engage in that band somewhat. So in order to be truly successful, you have to cross the gender bar- barrier. Um, and I think also, you know, the fact that they're not, you know, they're never, they're never really mainstream promoted. There's no radio for it. It is, it's always a novelty act. And, and, but as a novelty act, it's, it's actually really cool and interesting. I think I like baby metal. I think there's, you know, and there's an enormous amount of precision and effort and rehearsing that they must go through. I mean, they're essentially like a, you know, like a boy band or a girl band and they're, they're really treated more like J-pop than they are metal. And it's, um, to me, it's an, an interesting thing, but yeah, you know, you only, if you're, if you're talking about a career that spans years and years and years, and you only have one or two or three good songs, you might be in trouble, you know? Yeah. And, or you could be like what you said with Guar as well, with that being more of a novelty act where even for myself, I've, I've never gone on to like Spotify or gone out of my way to listen to any of Guar's music. I got a right. free, I got a free ticket. I got a free ticket to see them at the rave here in Milwaukee back in 2019 and went and I decided after that show, okay, will I probably ever listen to Guar on my own? Like just, if I'm just going to sit down and listen to it, probably not. If I ever get a chance to go and see them live again, am I going? Absolutely. That their show was absolutely uh, uh, so much fun to go to. I mean, I came out of there just like drenched. (laughs) By the way, baby metal has almost a million monthly listeners. Oh, then I completely just lost 940,000 monthly listeners. Gimme Chocolate has 30 million streams. Karate has 25 million streams. So they're they're making a little money. They're making a little more than that. Their worst track on their their top 10 has almost 3 million streams. So they're they're not not doing too bad. I thought, yeah, I thought they were, I thought they were about half of that. Wow. Yeah, it's, you know, it is know. what it is, right? It's just, it's just fun. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, but then also one other thing we've been seeing lately a little bit more with kind of like that, like now that are like the gimmick, kind of just what's added on top of the music. There are certain acts that are coming out now that are really starting to grow up to prominence that have some of those more gimmick styles to them. But sure. it's also, it's just kind of what's helping make them a bigger band. But then you listen to the music as well. And sometimes in my opinion, their music is fantastic. And that gimmick was something that I was able to get them realized by the fans in order to really get into that. A good example that, in my opinion, would be the horror gimmick that Ice Nine Kills uses. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Spencer, you know, Spencer is very, very, um, he's conceptual in pretty much everything he does. So there's, there's no real, he doesn't have, his allegiance to horror and film and movies is, is about as deep and intense as his connection to music is. So I don't think he really prioritizes any of it for him. I sign kills is a, is a sort of like multimedia project. Right. Um, as, as, as a lot of modern things, I'm still waiting to hear an I sign kills song though, that I need to listen to like, on like repeatedly, you know, like I don't dislike any of the songs. I just want to hear a song where I'm like, Oh my God, this is an amazing song. But even if they don't ever do that, I think they'll still be successful, you know? So 
it's uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty funny. But talking about what you're talking about and talking about a gimmick that doesn't necessarily work for me, which is interesting, is sleep token. So like the sleep token thing for me, like when I see sleep token, I love that one song, the offering, I think it's called mm-hmm. and just an unbelievably cool band. And then when I saw that they wear masks and dress like aliens, I was like, oh, that sort of ruined it for me a little bit, because for me, they're so it's so organic and sort of authentic that I just didn't feel it needed a gimmick. You know what I mean? So it felt like the gimmick almost didn't fit the band. But, you know, I'm sure there's a reason for it or whatever. Or or I think somebody once told me that there's somebody in the band who's not supposed to be in the band and they have a mask. But um, but anyway, yeah, I don't know. I, I that was an interesting moment for me too because I really loved the song. And then when I saw the band was in mass, I was like, "Oh, I feel like that was unnecessary. I thought the songs were good enough to stand on their own." You know, that is interesting because I never really got that big in a sleep token at all. So I have to check that out just to see like what a live show looks like and then see that, and I might have the exact same reaction that you do. Yeah, I really love that song though. That the offering song is really good. And probably right after this, I'm honestly going to go on YouTube and just look that up. Be like, okay, I got to see. They, do they come out like these weird masks and like look like aliens or something like that? And then do you really need to do that? Sure. But yeah, man. So yeah, so the album's coming out. We're, we're excited about all of that. We're pretty stoked on, you know, all of what's coming up this year. I mean, I, you know, it's weird to be optimistic, right? Because we're in no way out of the woods. But it's just it just feels good. I don't know. It, it feels like there's good, good stuff going to happen for not only us, but I think music in general. I, oh, I absolutely think so as well, just because, again, everyone's been basically with live shows. Everyone's been on the shelf for over a year at this point. And when people are going to want to go out and see live shows right when they come out. But it's what are you going to do to make sure that people are going to make sure that you are the live show that they want to see? You're the live show that they want. They're going to end up remembering for the rest of the year. It's like, this is the best show I saw right after everything opened back up. And it's an, it's a huge opportunity for every band out there to grab a share of the music listening community that they might not have right now. It's a huge opportunity just because, okay, people are just looking for new stuff. People are going to be looking for all this stuff and you have an opportunity to just create something and grab people's attention where, you know, Again, we haven't seen live shows in over a year at this point. What happens if someone does something absolutely crazy and then someone takes a video, word gets around. Next thing you know, you could be a band that was selling two, 300 tickets before the pandemic hit. Now you're going to be able to try and sell two, 3,000. Yeah, no, I know. It's crazy. It's going to be cool, though. I'm optimistic. I have no reason to be, but I am definitely optimistic. And Well, that is honestly refreshing to hear because throughout the past year, Everyone's been rather startled, rather pessimistic, and just unsure of everything that's going on. But with a brand new record coming out, again, a live stream performance on March 19th, the day Intercorrupted comes out as well. And looking at Saj and looking at just kind of that, there's just a certain aura that's around your face around with the smile. It's just, I can tell you're positive. I can tell you're optimistic. And that positivity, that optimistic feel will just end up potentially radiate into what you do on social media, what you do with the release, what you do with the live stream as well, what you do with everything after that. And then when it comes down to, alrighty, we're getting back to live shows and you go out and could potentially go out with, again, bands like Breaking Benjamin, bands like Alter Bridge, bands like Seven Dust, whoever else you might be, Shine Down even, you never really know. But all of a sudden, again, it's just constantly that momentum just keeps building and building and building. It's like a... It's like a snowball going down a hill. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, there's not, 
there's not a lot of reasons to be super stoked, but I feel super stoked. And I'm just, maybe it's just because I'm just proud of the record. So I'm hoping everybody who, uh, who checks this out, you know, checks out the album on, on March 19th. And, uh, you know, and you can go to robband.net and figure out all the, all the social media stuff and find us wherever you want to talk. And we always answer our messages and DMs and stuff. So don't be afraid. Well, if everyone hear that, don't be afraid. Check them out. Message them if you want to. And I, again, will have all the links for uh, in the description of this podcast so that all you have to do is click, bing, bang, boom, make it as easy as possible to find them on social media, find them online, check out some of their merch. Again, plug in that a little bit as well. And then also make sure you follow them on Spotify. Make sure you, if you're, if you're on Apple Music, yeah, give them a follow there. Stream their stuff, pre-save the album, pre-order the album, get your tickets so that you can go and watch the uh, the live stream concert. I was, I was gonna say virtual live stream. I keep messing them up. Virtual concert on March 19th because come on, it's a virtual concert and they got a lot of production behind this. Who wouldn't want to check that out? Yeah, no, it's all really good, man. I'm thank you again for having me again. This is awesome. Thanks for being on as well. I always love talking to you. There's certain like things that I keep thinking about that I'm not necessarily sure how to like put in a perspective when I'm even doing some of this stuff. After talking with you, I've got like 10 different ideas. I'm like, oh, I never thought of it this way. Oh, wow. I should have thought of it this way. Oh, this is a better way to explain this. I'm just thinking, my God, every time I talk to you, like my music IQ has to increase by like 20 points. Awesome. I'll, I'll take credit for that. I like that. Oh, absolutely. You can take credit for that. So on that note, Sahaj, can't say goodbye on this podcast due to the fact that this is the second time talking with you. And when live shows return, I definitely want to see you live, no matter what band you're with. Even if it's, if it's just raw, all the better. Very good. Awesome, man. Thanks again. Thanks again. And I got to say it. See you later. Ooh, well, well, folks, this is my interview with Sahaj from Ra. And God, every time I talk to Sahaj, my I, musical IQ has to increase by like 20 points. It is, it is amazing talking to this man. So everybody, please, 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 if you can, not if you can, you must now. Make sure you go to the description of the podcast in the Find Ra online section. Follow them on Facebook. Throw them a follow on Twitter. Follow them on Instagram. Subscribe to them on YouTube. Go to their website. Check out some merch. Pre-save the album if you're streaming Spotify, Apple Music. If you're going to pre-order the album, again, go do that right now. When it comes out on March 19th, you'll be ready. Also, be sure to check out their virtual concert on March 19th as well. It's going to be incredible. Will I be there? I'm going to make sure as all hell that I find a way to do it. So on that note, that's going to be for me today, guys. Thank you for watching and listening to the Chord Progression Podcast. with Samuel City Rocks are rocking. I'll thrive. My name is Kevin. And you guys know how I am every single one. up to the big, healthy, and hearty. See ya. Yeah.